If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. I'm really excited for this one. I'm really you say that. I'm really excited to share this with our audience because I, I read Mark Manson's Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck about two years ago, and I'm really not uh, that much into self-help books, uh, although his twist yeah. on self-help I thought was awesome and a pessimistic view right of it, which it was, was amazing it, i i would i'd say it's a realistic i know but that's how he coined it yeah, yeah right no it's I, ex- I appreciate it. it's extremely clever it's, it's, it's one of a, the fastest selling or best selling books of the year i believe it's approached eight million copies sold i know it was like at seven something uh over seven million when we first talked to mark and i know it was still climbing so it's on its way. If it reaches 10 million books, he's in a, a group of like less than a few hundred authors of all time yeah. to ever sell. I mean, which is yeah. just unbelievable. So it's it, had a huge impact on a lot of people. I've I've heard about his book um, and was referred to his book by several people that I have uh, very, very high respect for. And they all say the same things. It was phenomenal. His new book, Everything is Fucked, looks uh, just as amazing. Um, and here's the thing about... Mark, I don't know much about him as a person. Um, then he comes into the studio, and he's a really fucking cool dude. Yeah. He got to riff on J- on Justin's guitar. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. He's got a dark sense of humor like we do. Yeah. Loves metal. Oh, we totally hit it off. And we had a great... And, and what I was really proud about in this interview, which you're about to hear... Is it's not uh, it's not like the classic interviews that you've heard him in. We talk a lot about a, a lot of different type of stuff. So if you're really into this guy and into his books, you're going to hear a different side of him that you may not have heard on other podcasts. Um, his website is markmanson.net. His Instagram is markmansonnet. Um, his Twitter is I am Mark Manson. Of course, his books are the subtle art of not giving a fuck and and everything is fucked. Highly, highly suggest both of those books uh, as they're phenomenal. Um, and before we get into the episode, I want to remind everybody: Maps Strong is fifty percent off. Now, remember, Maps Strong was our strongman inspired muscle building, fat burning program. It's strongman inspired, meaning it is full of lifts that you're probably not doing now. It's different. It's fun. There's a stamina component um, with our work sessions. It's a it's a posterior chain heavy program, so you're gonna get a very strong back, strong glutes when you do this workout. Um, I was actually surprised that my arms got a little bit bigger. There isn't tons of direct bicep work, but it was all the heavy pulling and snatch grip pulls that got my biceps to respond. So this program's fun. It's awesome. It's half off if you go to mapsstrong.com. M A P S S-T-R-O-N-G dot com and use the code STRONG50, S-T-R-O-N-G-5-0, no space, for the discount. So make sure you check that out. Um, and that's it. Uh, here we are talking to uh, one of our favorite guests, Mark Manson. I think we're as sensitive as we are today because uh, people are finding power in being a victim. Yeah. Or they think they're finding power in being a victim. So. Yeah. It's like, you sure. offended me. I'm powerful. And I, I've noticed this because, you know, I've been writing some pretty, like, vulgar shit for, like, 10 years now. And um, it's, like, just the last two years 
the complaints. I mean, I've always gotten complaints, but <laughs> you know, don't make fun of these people or or that. And it, but it's like just the last year or two. It's really? it's it's getting unbearable. It's every single thing I write, every joke. Really? There's like people coming, dude. I got. I I wrote a joke. I wrote an email to my list, um, and I made a joke about strippers. And it's like just like a I mean, very that's fair game. It's just a very <laughs> generic stripper joke, and yeah. uh, I got so many complaints. And I, I got there was some there was one woman, and she was like, she was like, you need to think about the fact that some of us have ha- have husbands that cheated on us with strippers. You should be more sensitive. I'm like, <laughs> what? I was, I'm like, we're reaching the point where like you literally can't write anything anymore. Yeah. Like, it's just because somebody somewhere it's has fragmented been, all the way just down. Yeah. Been traumatized. <laughs> By anything, I I don't know who said this, but I, I heard it somewhere. I thought it was brilliant that the back in the medieval times or times of kings and queens, you knew, you knew that shit was about to hit the fan when the gesture, the court gesture, would get executed by the king. Interesting. When it, the gesture no longer could make jokes, then you knew you were dealing with a tyrant. Yeah, a tyrant. Yeah. Wow. And it's 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 interesting, right? Kind of a sign of the times where comedians yeah. are now being told they can't. You know, can't be funny the way that they've been funny before. Yeah. Everybody gets offended by anything. How do, you, do you think that's a reflection on something else? Yeah, I mean, it's so. A lot of the new book is about this. A lot of it is about our. I describe it as as our our receding uh, threshold for, I guess, pain or discomfort. Um, I think people are becoming less emotionally resilient, mm-hmm. um, and that is that plays out across society in a lot of different ways. Part of it is just that, you know, we're constantly like distracted and, you know, we can't be bored for more than two seconds. But part of it too, is that like anything that makes us uncomfortable, anything that offends us a little bit, it's like, oh, well, I can't handle that. Mm -hmm. You know? And so it's, it's creating, um, a culture of distrust and a, and a culture of, uh, well, as you said, it's, it's, there's a certain degree of it, that celebrates victimhood. Like mm. it, it becomes a status symbol of like, you know, I'm more victimized than you. Therefore my voice deserves to be heard more than yours. And it's, it, that's not to say that victims shouldn't be heard. It's just that like, look, we've all been victimized to varying degrees and we've all been through shit. Um, and, and it's when you start rewarding um, certain amounts of victimhood that, that you, you start creating a very, toxic environment. Mark, Mark, do you think that it may be something you said in one of your short podcasts, um, which was, I actually listened to it this morning. It was brilliant. You said that um, you can tell what somebody truly values, Mm -hmm. not by their words, but by their actions. Their actions. Their actions will tell you. um, And oftentimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm really paraphrasing, phenomenal. We'll put this in the show notes. I think everybody should listen to it. You said... uh, that oftentimes we say we want certain things or that we value certain things because that's what we want to be, but our actions actually show us that we're someone else. Do you think that this celebration of victimhood or constantly trying to be offended or finding a reason to be offended is a way for people to show, is to signal their their virtue? Like, oh, I'm, I'm offended by that too. Like, of course that bothers me. When in reality, they probably aren't. I think it's it's inevitable. Anytime you start being rewarded with with attention and validation, and and especially today, I mean, everything's driven by attention. Mm. Um, everything's kind of set up to incentivize attention, and 
just the nature of human psychology is that really fucked up shit grabs our attention more than anything else. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that's what spreads the easiest and spreads the furthest and gets you the most attention and therefore gets you the most, I guess, emotional support or validation, um, I don't even think it's conscious in a lot of us. Like we, we start naturally um, leaning into that mm. essentially. Um, and I, I, I just, I want to make clear too, because this, this topic gets politicized a lot. And it's funny because um, it, it gets politicized. People tend to project, you know, whoever the other side is. And it's been interesting. I'm doing, so I'm, I'm in the middle of my speaking tour right now. Um, I'm doing red states and blue states. And when I start talking about this on stage and I talk to people after the show, it's in the blue states, they, they're like, yeah, those damn Trump supporters. Like they're, they just, (laughs) they get so upset at the smallest thing. And, you know, and then I'm in the red states and I'm like, those goddamn liberals, like they can't just, can't they just man up and, and, (laughs) you know, deal with it. And, and, And I'm like, guys, man, this is, you don't even, I get to see it. It's, everywhere Mm. everywhere uh and so i tried to writing this book i wanted to very much write it apolitically um in a way that both sides could kind of hopefully see what's going on going to the root Mm. yeah because it's just everybody's blaming the other side right now Mm -hmm. Mm. and and as long as we're blaming the other side we're not dealing with our own shit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now your first book uh one of the best-selling books uh, I mean, uh, of, of ever, I think, but definitely of the last 10 years. I know it's, 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 it's going to at some point hit 10 million copies, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's getting there. It's a, a self-help help book, but it's, uh, I think it's more than that. Well, with a twist. You yeah. Gotta, and you yeah. Gotta, I think you got to explain the, the motivation behind that book first and, and why you wrote it the way you did in comparison to right. the, the it's average. not a typical self-help book. Sure, sure. So it's... Um, you know, I'd been blogging for a long time uh, and I had a personal development blog and I've, you know, I've read self-help stuff and personal development stuff since I was a teenager. And I reached a point in my late 20s where I became very disillusioned with all of it. And it wasn't so much, it's not that it's wrong. It's just that I felt like a lot of these ideas of, you know, you know, believe you can do anything and if you just believe it it'll come true and and all basically all this shit that is kind of designed to make you feel good kind of kiss your ass a little bit be like hey reader you're great too i believe in you it's like no humans are shit like when you when you read when you really study psychology like you you quickly understand that like we are fucked up creatures we have lots of problems we have lots of biases prejudices um and we're very limited and so I I felt like there really needed to be a pessimistic self-help book. Uh, <laughs> like a, a self-help book that that didn't start out with the idea of like you're great, you could do anything. Yeah. It started out with the idea of like you're shit, yeah. I'm shit, we're all shit. Let's try to be less shitty. Right. And uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people loved it. It took off. So yeah. it's less fantastical that way. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, and it's I think that's what you know, the, the most common reader reaction is like, oh, it's so real. And, yeah. I, and, it, and it's, I think that's what, you know, kind of gets through to them is that it's, you're not living in this fantasy world of, um, you know, just a, I don't know, all this like airy fairy <laughs> crap that you hear all the time. You're, you, you put, um, you help people, 
I guess, put the responsibility on themselves. I don't know how, uh, if, if there's a better way to put it, but it's a, it's a, the, the message is a little counter to what we've heard for maybe the past couple of decades, which is it's not your fault. Don't worry about yeah. it. You're more like, hey, you've got a lot of control. It's your responsibility. Do you think the timing is what made it part of what made it so popular? Because it, it, it cause a lot of what you talk about is old wisdom. Yeah, oh, yeah, none of this shit's new. Oh, it's it's all old wisdom. Like, yeah. you know, if you study the world's religions and philosophers, yeah. you you in a modern way convey what they've been saying, but you convey it in a way that connects with people today. But you're conveying that message. You think it was just the timing? Like people hadn't heard this message said that way for 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 long enough to now what you brought it out and they're like, oh shit. Yeah, I, I definitely think a lot of it's time. Like, look, anytime you sell ten million books. It wasn't all you. Like, <laughs> like there's, there's, there's a lot of luck involved, and a lot of, and a lot of that good fortune was timing. I think one thing that I, I, I've been talking about at my talks is is that I think 2016, in a lot of ways, it, it it's the year that I think the the honeymoon period of the internet was over. Mm. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but if you think back like 10 years ago. You know, when I was starting my first online business, you know, every everybody was so optimistic about mm. social media, about you know, hey, we're all going to be artists, we're going to be going to be creatives, everybody's going to be a freelancer, you know, it's going to be great. <laughs> and then, like 2015, 2016, we just started realizing like all of the social costs that come along with being this connected with everything, mm-hmm. and um, and I think it's we haven't really recovered from that. You know, it, it's we're. we're it's such a downer and and so upsetting to realize that we can't go back. Like you can't put Facebook back in the box. Like (laughs) (laughs) like it's out. Um, And so I think, as you said, I I just kind of repackaged a lot of these old ideas in a very new- um, uh, Relatable. In a a very new and relatable package. Um, And I think that I caught like the, the perfect moment, the book came out at the perfect moment where people were like very disillusioned and upset and pessimistic, but they still wanted to get mm. better. Mm. So what Mark, are some of those social costs that you recognize right away? Um, well, well, attention for sure. I mean, it's just, there's, oh man, there's so many. So the, people's attention span is, is eroding. Um, it's, we're having, we're less of our, social interactions are happening face to face. And there's just a lot of evidence that shows that, um, you can't replicate the, the, I guess, emotional satisfaction or, or, or the, the intimacy that comes with a face to face conversation or hanging out. Um, I mean, you guys have doing podcasts. I mean, there's a reason I'm here physically. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, you, you do it on Skype and it's like, not the same. It's yep. not the same at all. No. Um, there's a paradox of choice thing going on, which is uh, paradox of choice is this interesting thing in psychology, which is, um, you know, if I give you, if somebody gives you an option of like two, two boxes of cereal in the morning, you pick your favorite one and, you know, you'll be satisfied. You'll be like, okay, I got the best box. If somebody gives you, offers you 20 boxes, uh, A, it's going to require a lot more effort to make that decision and B, what they find is that people are actually less satisfied with their decisions. Cause they, they think about all the other ones that they didn't mm-hmm. get, that they gave up. That's how I feel every time yeah. I try and choose a movie of ne- on Netflix. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I, 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 much pressure. I remember being a kid when I collected video cassettes back then. Right. And I had 
10 of them yeah and i i rotated through the 10 <laughs> fucking 100 times you yeah. know and like to your point was so excited to pick the one and i enjoyed it even if it was the 80th time i watched it yeah but now when i get on netflix it's like there's such a there's so a many scene. choices it's so vast and then you watch and you're like fuck i just wasted two hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's it's like that old uh 500 channels and there's nothing on yeah like you just sit there and scroll through them <laughs> um yeah, I've been reading yeah. statistics that are showing that um, in certain age groups, suicide rates are hitting levels we haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, opiate uh, addiction, uh, you know, has been oh, it's a climbing epidemic, yeah, climbing, and yet we're living in, objectively speaking, materially speaking, the best times ever. Yes, we, we we're more fed, we have more shelter, more people have whatever they want. There's less violence, less crime. Yeah. We're more educated. Um, and yeah, depression, anxiety, suicide, drug overdoses, these are all things that are on the rise now. Do, it, do you think it's because... Yeah, why? Why do you think yeah, that is? Yeah, like... like uh, I, so, I mean, the whole book is kind of about why, but the short answer is that I think there are two chief reasons. One is the better things get, the more you have to lose. Um, so like if you're just a subsistence farmer, like in the middle of India or something or in Kenya, like you don't have much to lose. Like you just get up and you fucking farm. Like there's no complexity to it. It's, you know exactly what to hope for in your life. You know exactly what your dreams are. You just want to like grow some food and eat. When you're sitting in an air conditioned room in the Bay area, getting food, delivered to you by like hitting buttons on your phone, having 500 shows on Netflix. It's really hard to know what to hope for in your life. Like it's, it actually, that whole question of what do I want for myself? What is my purpose here as a person? It gets very complicated. Um, So that's one is that there's, there's, you know, there's a lot to lose. Um, And then the second one is just that when, you're bombarded with a lot of different contradictory information. Uh, you know, having that solid vision for yourself or your life is, uh, it's harder to do that. You know, it's, I just know from, for me myself, like, I, you know, I wanted to lose weight this year. And of course, like an idiot, I Googled, how do you lose weight? And all these <laughs> awful articles come up. And you just, it within five minutes, you realize they all start contradicting each other. Mm-hmm. And there's this expert guy over here who's, he's, he's got the one secret that, you know, if you just stop eating this food and then, you know, you go to another website and they say the complete opposite thing. And within an hour, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just be fat. <laughs> <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> it's just so much easier to be fat. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that is happening with everything, um, you know, with our careers, with our jobs. Um and again, it's the paradox of choice thing. It's like when you know you could have a career doing 20 different things, you're going to spend the rest of your life wondering what if. Hmm. So you you did an interview with somebody, that uh, Aubrey Marcus. Yeah. And um, I actually think it was one of the worst interviews that I, I heard you on, not because you were bad, but because he constantly took over the conversation. He asked you a great <laughs> question, and then he would go on a rant talking about his opinion on that. And there was an area that I really wanted to hear you get into with yeah. him. That because I I know him and I kind of know we refer to them as uh, pleasure chasers over there, yep. and you talked about God value, 
yes. and the importance of that. And that's one of the things that um, I, my values, I don't think align with theirs as far as like how, what, what they chase after in life. Mm-hmm. And you were starting to go that direction. I felt like you kind of took it away. You didn't get to get deeper into it. Could you explain God value and what that means and, and why, why you think that's important? Sure. So man, how far do I want to back up to explain this? Um, all right, I'm going to give like the the Cliff Notes version. This is chapters two through four. Um, so we have two brains, right? Thinking brain and feeling brain. Thinking brain creates fact, creates its own type of meaning. It creates a factual type of meaning. Thinking brain understands that, you know, this thing is black. This microphone amplifies my voice. It understands relationships between experiences. Feeling brain creates value-based meaning. It decides that, Hey, podcasts are good. I like these guys. Um, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to fly tomorrow. That like the feeling brain is always kind of prioritizing and putting in order um, how much we desire certain things and how 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 important, good or bad, we we find certain experiences. Now, the interesting thing about value based meaning is that you can't prove it or disprove it. It's just a subjective experience. Like I can prove this microphone stand is black. I cannot prove that podcasts are good. Like it's just, it's an opinion. Um, what's interesting is that when you take all of our values in life, something has to be at the top. Something has to, we, we all have to pick something that we believe is more important than anything else in life. Um, and for people who are religious, that tends to be God. But even if you're not religious, uh, something else will become your God. Something else becomes your God. So people, mm-hmm. for, for people who like money is the most important thing in their life, they end up viewing everything else they experience in terms of money. So if their relationships fail, they're like, oh, well, if I made more money, maybe I'd be loved. Um, if they don't like somebody, they're like, oh, well, they're a loser because they don't have enough money. Um, whatever you put in that top slot of your value hierarchy uh, will determine the way you see everything else. Um, and the important thing about God values is is that they're, again, even if you're not religious, they're bought into on faith. Um, you cannot prove that you know money determines is the most important thing in existence. It's something that you just started believing at some point based on your own experiences. Um, and so I don't recall specifically the conversation with Marcus, but it's funny. Like I love talking to him, but it's clear that he and I have very different values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely think he puts, uh, I guess, positive experience or pleasurable experiences is much higher on his value hierarchy uh, than it is on mine. I, I, I tend to think that the way to develop yourself, the way to grow as a person is actually leaning into pain and discomfort. Mm. Um, and, and that is true, just as it's true, you know, we walk through your gym, just as it's true with your physical body, it's true with your mental and emotional body. Like you become emotionally stronger, the more conflict and awkwardness and uncomfortable things that you deal with. Um, and so I think when, when you know, pleasure's great, pleasure's fun, um, and it has its place in life, but I think when you uh, start using it as kind of the rubric to measure your experiences as a human, um, it, it it can lead you into some unhealthy cul-de-sacs. 
Isn't um, also with the God value, the real value being that it is ultimately unachievable. It's something greater than, you know, yourself. Yes. Yes. And I, I think, um, I think anybody who kind of uses themselves as a God value, I, I think you would classify them as a narcissist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is that we need something in our life that we value more than our, ourself. Like that's what essentially gives life its sense of meaning and purpose. Um, you know, a super common example is like your kids. If you, most people, most loving parents value their child's life more than their own. And it's that value, it's that putting their child above themselves in their feeling brain that allows them to feel a sense of purpose and hope in their life to wake up every morning and be like, I'm here for a good reason. I'm doing a good thing. Um, people who put themselves above everything or put something like really superficial, like money or having a nice car or whatever. Um, eventually that feels very empty because it's, it's very replaceable, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm. These, uh, a lot of what you're saying is echoed by um, the world's, major religions and you know most followed philosophies of detachment from in other words if you're not worshiping a god then you're worshiping yeah. something yep and uh, a lot of the ancient religions talk about um detaching from those things uh whether it's fasting so that you abstain from food or your abstinence uh, you're yeah absent or or detaching from the desire for power or money mm -hmm. I mean, these things, these lessons have been taught to us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Why do you think they fall out of favor uh, with us? Why do you think we we forget them and then have to be reminded? Well, one one thing that's happening lately, and I I make this argument a little bit in the second part of the book, is that we're becoming less religious. I think it's the technology is has become so good and has advanced so quickly and has given us so much individual potential to direct our own life um, that we've, I think we, we don't really buy into those lessons anymore. You know, it's all that stuff like fasting, giving 10% of your money, um, you know, giving things away, sacrificing for other people like that was baked into all these religions as a way to keep people emotionally healthy, keep people growing. It's, you know, keep people going to that emotional gym in their minds. Um, I think today we've built so much of our cultures driven by technology and consumerism that is constantly telling us you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. You deserve anything you want. Mm. That's, that's where it gets really dangerous mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is when you start being told like, ah, yeah, you deserve to have a, a great car and a hot chick and uh, be at partying like 24 seven. It's like, Fucker, you don't what you don't deserve anything. Like, what have you done lately? <laughs> What's your gift to humanity? Yeah, it's like since when do we deserve uh, happiness? Like, this is right. this is the funny thing. Is is uh, God? Who was I doing? I did an interview with a uh, a pretty prominent prominent podcaster. I'm not gonna say their name. Um, and they they kind of threw this classic self help trope at me. And it's like, well, you know, everybody deserves happiness. I'm like. Says who, man? Like, there's some shitty people on this planet. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's like happiness is great, but it can't be the point. It can't be like you have to 
you have to earn it um, through some sort of sacrifice. Again, putting something greater than yourself. But um, that's what makes it valuable, in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, I, I, we use the example of we're trainers, right? So we talk yeah. about fitness all the time. And I've used this example before on the podcast. Like if I if I had a magic wand and I could all of a sudden make everybody look super fit and ripped, they would not derive nearly the benefit that they would have gotten had they figured out how to have a good relationship with food and be oh, active totally. for themselves yeah. and all those things. So I think sometimes we confuse pleasure and feeling good with it being an actually a good thing. Yeah, it, it might not be. I mean, you could do a bunch of cocaine and feel great sure but it's probably not good for yeah you. well and if you look at so much of what's what's commercially viable it, it's you know people getting like ab implants and you know liposuction all this stuff and it's like not not to knock that but it's i think we, we're developing a culture of like we just buy the result mm-hmm. we're not without engaging in the process we don't value mm-hmm. the process mm-hmm. exactly and and it's like it's like a rich kid it's like a trust fund kid who's just like given a ferrari every year like he doesn't and he just keeps wrecking them you know it's like <laughs> cuz he doesn't fucking appreciate it he didn't do anything for it um and so yeah it's it ends up becoming like a very empty and meaningless existence do you well, think we need struggle humans need absolutely. it absolutely absolutely it's it's again it's and it's funny because I think this is why fitness people like get my work so much. It's so, so easy. Yeah. Black and white. Fitness is so black and white. That's why I love it. Well, and it's I think the analogies between your body and your mind line up in almost every way. Mm-hmm. Like it's if you don't exercise, your muscles become fragile. They mm-hmm. break down. Mm-hmm. They can even atrophy. Like you can you can start your body can start like decomposing. It's the same thing with your brain. Same thing. Like all the evidence shows it. Like if you are not consistently like challenging yourself mentally, intellectually, emotionally, you get weaker, you get more fragile, you get more sensitive, and then you get offended when a guy sends you an email with a stripper joke. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a a fan of The Matrix, the movie The Matrix? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when, uh, was it Morpheus got caught by the agents and they're like, he's, you know, being held hostage and- Mm -hmm. Then they say to him, you know, the agent Smith or whatever's like, we the first matrix we created was perfect. It was oh, a paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you got your Utopia. mind couldn't handle it, and we had, and we lost millions of crops, <laughs> and we had to make it. You know, uh, uh, we had to make the matrix like a, the, your version of the, you know the world in the '90s or whatever. I thought that was so absolutely. It's so cool. Um, yeah, there's a, a an old school philosopher. Actually, he's the guy who invented sociology. Is a guy named Emil Durkheim. He wrote an essay in like the 1800s saying, if you imagine, he did like a thought experiment. He said, imagine a society with no crime, no dishonesty, no violence. Um, Would people be happy? And he said, no, people would still get just as upset as they got before, except instead of getting upset about somebody like stealing their wallet, they would get upset at like, oh, he didn't look at me the right way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Or he didn't walk fast enough, you know? So it's like, there's a set rate of, being upset (laughs) Um, and and it's it's the better things get the more ridiculous the things we get upset about do you how do we and by the way the evidence i mean i'm I'm listening to you and i agree with everything you say but the evidence also agrees with everything you say i mean you Mm -hmm. look at modern societies oh yeah and up to a certain point people get more shit and they don't get happier no matter what 
And oftentimes it gets much worse. And you can look at the studies on lottery winners. Those are my favorite. Yeah. You know, people who win the lottery and just end up where they were before in a few well, years. Yeah, they go broke. Broke and depressed just like yeah. they were before. Didn't solve uh, the, the root uh, of their issues. But how do we... Because life used to come with struggle built in more so, I think, than than it does today, yeah. or, or at least different. How do we inject struggle into our lives so that we can find that meaning? We that seek we need? that uh, shit sandwich, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> what, what shit sandwich do you want to eat? Um, I, I think this is becoming something that uh, it's almost like mental hygiene, you know, or like mental fitness. I, I think it it given how powerful and distracting all the technology is, I think we need to start consciously developing regiments for ourselves in terms of like information diets, like being very conscious of what we are consuming, how much time we're spending online, um, who we're following Mm. on Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. Um, I think, you know, there's one side of it is just simply like very consciously limiting what you're exposed to. Um, so that you're not getting sucked into like stupid struggles that don't actually affect anything. Um, and then I think the, uh, the flip side of that is to go out and find meaningful challenges for yourself. And one of, one of the things that I've, I've started talking about is I, I, I think that we might actually be thinking too globally as a society now. I think, you know, the internet again, the amazing thing the internet did is made us, it made us so aware of what's happening globally. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also moved our interests away from like local struggles and concerns. Um, not only like, it, instead of like sitting on Twitter and like <coughs> screaming at people about some political issue, like if you took that same energy and went down to the local school and like bought some pro- poor kids school supplies, maybe volunteered as a substitute teacher or something like not only are you going to it's way more effective make more impact but that is going to add more purpose and meaning to your life than mm. like anything any sort of globally related issue mm. that you find um it's like and i'm not saying don't get involved with global issues but i guess my point is like the only way that for any of us to make a dent in a global issue is you have to like dedicate your life to it mm-hmm. um and so I, I just think we need to like move our focus back to more of a local level. If we, oh, if we point. move that even more local, do you think if people focused on just making themselves better, mm. that that would be the best approach? I think that's a, that's part of it. Um, I think making yourself better. I mean, it depends how you define making yourself better, but oh, like, yeah, that's a good one though. That's, yeah. that might, we need to get into that. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, actually, this does raise an interesting issue because there is, and this kind of comes back to a lot of my criticism of of self development. Um, it's a lot of my time when I was really into the self help shit in my early twenties. I started running into people who were so focused on self improvement that they themselves became their god value without them realizing it. Mm. So it was like everything in their life was about like, oh, well, you know, it's good my girlfriend left me because I'm going to like get so many lessons out of it. And it's like, dude, you're fucking heartbroken. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's just like, like let yourself hurt. But, um, and so I think I would argue that uh, to really work on yourself, you need to be giving back to people in Mm -hmm. your life. There's no way you can't, you can't 
build yourself up as an island completely. So, and and that you talk about uh, a little bit about this about kind of defining what your values are. Mm-hmm. So, like, in I'm gonna that same podcast I listened to you you talked about this story that you thought about writing but you didn't because you knew you'd get backlash was about Hitler yeah and how. You know, Hitler, if he just became a better Hitler, it would have been a bad thing. Right. You know, right. if he like just because his values were all fucked up. Yep. You know, so maybe talk about that for a second. Like, how do we determine that for ourselves? How do we decide and why do we need to decide right. what are good values before we go and make ourselves better? Yeah. So I, I, I dreamed of writing this article for a long mm-hmm. time. It was actually, it was going to be a spoof on like a self help podcast. It was going to be like, uh, today our guest is one of the most successful world leaders in history. Arguably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he took, he took a crumbling economy and within 20 years made the, created the world's most powerful military. You know, it's like this big epic right. introduction. Uh, and it was going to be Hitler. And it was good. The whole podcast was going to be like, so tell us about your morning routine. Like, <laughs> Do you put butter in your coffee? Uh, and it was going to be satirical. And I thought, you know, I would have laughed my ass off. I would have laughed. Oh, but yeah. I just, I knew, I knew just the. You would have been crucified. Oh my yeah. God. The emails I would have gotten. Uh, and so, but I, I think it would have made. It makes your point. It makes such an important point, mm-hmm. which is that. Again, if if those values are misaligned or if they're not set straight, the more disciplined you become, the better goals you set, the more uh, more like the harder you work, it's actually going to destroy you and destroy others mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like all this other stuff becomes a bad thing if you're like pointed in the wrong direction. Um, and so, it, it's to me, it's values is is not only the first question, but it's like pretty much the question because the other issue too is that once you get the like your values sorted out once you feel like something is so important in your life it's not hard to get motivated to do it like it's it's so important to you that you're like excited to wake up and 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 start running after it um and so i i just think i think we not only could we make you know make self-development such a a better tool by focusing on these value based questions, but it, it would also remove a lot of the other questions hmm. from the equation. Well, you also discussed too the importance of it's one thing to have these values or to have these goals, but then how many people take it the next step and ask yourself why? Right. Yeah. Why do I have this? Yeah. And I think that's so important when you're talking about self development or growth is. You know, and that's something that I felt that I got from your book that you just not a lot of self-help books give you is that it's one thing to go after, set these goals, go get it, motivate you, do it every mm-hmm. day. It's another thing to really start to ask you these questions. Because what I have found personally in my life, the deeper I go, the more I realize how much how much of my own values and goals sometimes are driven by my own deep-rooted insecurities. Yeah, and past traumas and, you know, it, it's, I've got a, I've got a good friend who, and it's funny because he's very self-aware. I've had some very like deep conversations with him, but the, the dude is just hung up on money. Like it's just, it's his God value. It's his obsession. It's, it's what he's going after all day, every day. And he's, and he's very successful at it. Uh, but it doesn't fulfill him. He's very, he's a, a neurotic mess and he's very aware of all this stuff, but it's, he came from a, a he was poor growing up. 
Money was always the problem in his house. It was what his parents used as a weapon against him, against each other. Um, it was always the excuse for why something was wrong. And so, of course, that's why it, it's mm. it's you, up there you for just, him. You just defined me. I mean, yeah. that, it took me 30 years of my life, though, to unpack that. To, uh, yeah, to start yeah. unwinding. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It takes a long time. Well, you know, what happened or what happened to me was that I, I got to this point uh, as a kid because you just literally defined who my childhood and what it was like. And so I was chasing this number in my head. Yeah. And the crazy part is when you achieve that number and you reach it and then you if you have the awareness to stop and like yeah. reflect. And when I was being completely, uh, you know, honest with myself it wasn't the happiest time of my life. In fact, it was one of the worst times of my life. Yep. I was unhealthy. My relationships weren't healthy. My family, my friends, like, and it was like, what the fuck? Yeah. But that's hard, though. I think it's, uh, many people end up chasing whatever that is. Because, and I, so I feel blessed and lucky that I got to get to that point at such a young age to start to learn that and unpack yeah. that. But how many people do you think just go their whole life and chasing this thing that's empty? Well, it's hard, too, because our values warp our beliefs and they even warp our, how we perceive reality. Like I remember talking to a woman once who she was in her mid thirties. She was very successful and she said she really wanted to have a family, but she was worried that she was running out of time. And so I asked her, I'm like, well, what's, what's, what's holding you back? And she said, well, I'm making, I'm making about 600 to 700,000 a year, but I don't think it's really fair to my kids to raise them on anything less than a million. And I was like, <laughs> fair to you? <laughs> I was like, wait a second, time out. <laughs> and she said, she and she was dead serious. She absolutely believed this. She said, she said that you really, to give a child like the, a, a comfortable life with, with options for and everything that they deserve, uh, you really need to be making at least a million dollars. And I was like, wow, like there's there's a lot of digging that you need to do there. Like, because to, because it's, I was like, you realize, right, that 99% of the planet grows up without a million dollars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I think most of us turned out okay. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it starts warping your perception of, of mm. what reality is and, and, and how the world even functions. Well, that, that kind of speaks to some of your points you make too, along the lines of uh, pain and growth. Explain that a little bit on how important that is ultimately to our uh, evolution and, and becoming a better version of ourselves. You mean the kids with a lot of money? Well, just yeah, that how important the pain is because yeah, I, yeah, that then the struggle for us to be better. Yeah, there's um, there's a wonderful book that just came out uh, about a year ago. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind, and a lot of it is about, I guess, what you would call helicopter parenting. Mm. Um, it's written by a, a psychologist I really admire named Jonathan Haidt, um, and he it basically just talks about how parents who are very well-intentioned, um, you know, their idea of good parenting is like, Oh, well don't let junior, you know, fall and hurt themselves. And Oh, don't let junior, like if the kid, if those kids are being mean, I'm going to go find junior different friends who are nicer to them. And, uh, what pretty much all the research and data shows is that you need kids to fall and hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. You need them to be socially rejected by others. Mm -hmm. You need for them to have conflicts, to feel insecure, to feel inadequate, to fail at something. Um, because that's a, not only is that how they develop, you know, emotional maturity and resilience, 
but it, it's also how they discover who they are. Um, back to your point of like, if something's just given to you, um, you don't appreciate it. Like, imagine if you, like, I found in my childhood, I found out very quick that I sucked at sports. And while that wasn't fun to find out, it was great because it allowed me to go pursue a bunch of other stuff, which I was good at and I did enjoy. Um, whereas if you you imagine like a world where it's like, I'm not allowed to feel like I suck at sports, I'm going to spend my whole life thinking I'm like a fucking amazing basketball player, like airballing left and right, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and it's, it's it does a disservice to me, right. you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow me to know who I am and, and what, what, what I can add to the world. Plus at some point, Life is going to hit you in the face. Oh, it's yeah. going to knock. I you mean, in the, in the, yeah. in the, and the only way to prepare for that is to get hit in the face as you're growing up a little bit. Well, it led mm-hmm. to you. It led to you probably doing music, and then music yeah. led to you probably writing. Right? Isn't Absolutely. That, yeah. there, there's Absolutely. a great. Uh, I don't know if you, you ever watched The Twilight Zone growing up. Do you a remember little that bit. Show? Yeah, oh, yeah. Great writing. There's this one episode where this bank robber's running from the cops, and so they great. have a shootout, and then he kind of gets shot, and then he wakes up, and there's this guy with this white suit on, and he's like hey, I'm here to take care of you and give you whatever you want. And so make a long story short, the guy gets this opulent hotel, all these women, all the, he goes and gambles. Every time he rolls a dice, he gets a seven every single time. And then they fast forward a few weeks and the guy just hasn't shaved and he's just miserable. And he calls the guy over and he goes, this sucks. Every time I, I roll the dice, I win. Anything I want, I get. Like, this is not, this isn't great at all. And the guy goes, oh, we could structure some of that stuff in here. And he's like, it wouldn't be the same because I know you would be doing it. And he goes, I, I didn't think heaven would be like this. And the guy laughs and he goes, what makes you think this is heaven? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely brilliant, That's yeah. brilliant message. Yeah. You, you know, talking about values and how it warps the way you view things, uh, which is so, so true. Why is it so hard to change our value, our top value? Why, why if somebody like your friend who's so self-aware mm-hmm. and knows that he's worshiping money and it's probably bringing him a lot of grief, what is the thing that prevents people from being like, I'm going to switch to a different value? Yeah, it because it's, well, two reasons. One is that, again, the lens by which you see, you interpret all of your experiences is kind of like, comes through your, you're, you're like looking down through your value hierarchy. So it's whatever is your God value, like that's the lens in which you interpret everything else underneath it, every experience underneath it. And so- They're literally shattering your, what you think of things. Oh yeah. change that. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, you know, I've had conversations with my friend where like literally he, he believes that if he went broke, I would stop hanging out with him. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I've known you for like 20 years. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, that's almost, that's like borderline yeah. offensive, yeah, actually. Exactly. But, but it's like, I know him well enough that I know that he, that's just how his brain works. Um, and so it's when every experience is being interpreted in a way to reinforce that God value, um, it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to even like get to a point where you can properly analyze it and question it. Um, I think the, really the, the only way you can change a value is to have that value fail you in a massive way. Mm. Uh, and it, that, this is where these rock bottom moments come in, um, where you, it just, it breaks your world. And, but because your world's broken, you can put it back together in a better way. 
like in subtle art, the one of the main stories that I bring up a few times is is like the first my first serious girlfriend, the girl I was like madly in love with, thought I was going to be with her forever, cheats on me and leaves me for another guy. And it completely ripped apart everything I knew about relationships, everything I knew about women, everything I knew about myself. And it was such a horrifying and awful experience. But what it made me realize is, A, you know, the relationship actually was was kind of shitty and I was just delusional. Um, and B, it made me really evaluate like what what were the things I was, I was valuing the wrong things in the relationship. I was caring about, I was giving fucks about, you know, stuff that uh, wasn't as important as other things that I should have been giving a fuck about. And so I needed to be knocked on my ass mm. to have that opportunity to like reshuffle the value pyramid. Mm. Mm. Do you think, cause it's, it's, you you make a really strong case that we need to have the right values so that we can strive to accomplish the right things and then mm-hmm. that makes us ultimately feel fulfilled. Do you think uh, as a society, it makes sense for us to have certain values in common? Or do you think that there's that a moral relativism is okay where I, you know, we, you and I will value different things mm-hmm. and do our, or do you think it's important that we have kind of this framework and we all decide this is right, this is wrong? I think... So regardless of whether I think it's a good thing or not, I think it's humans are just wired in such a way we we look for group identities. We look to be a part of a group identity. We're we're a social species. We need a certain amount of social validation. And the primary way we achieve that is by creating certain groups or cultures that we are a part of that define us and kind of creates like an us versus them um, identification. Um, I think that's natural and inevitable. I think where it becomes dangerous is when those us and them definitions are uh, either very superficial or they're done in in extreme and um, hateful ways. So it's, so I guess the answer is yes. We do need some sort of group identity that we feel like we're a part of. It's just the manner in which some of us go about that group identity that uh, shit hits the fan. Hmm. I've heard you talk to, uh, you know, about recognizing your own biases and mm-hmm. to be able to start kind of really reading and, and educating yourself in other directions. And how yeah. important do you think that is? Absolutely. It's so important, especially today. Right. Um, there, there, are a couple, there are a couple different websites that I, I saw I've seen one's called like the flip side. And I think there's another one I can't remember, but it's like there are some services now. What they're doing is that they're summarizing arguments on both sides of the political spectrum. And the idea is that, that you get exposed to both views without all the, the bullshit and the, you know, headlines and clickbait that comes along with whichever side you're typically on. Um, you know, I, I I try to make a point to read books and articles that contradict something that I believe, because um, that's where you're going to learn something. So important, you know. And it's it's again, it's hard. You got to make a conscious effort. You kind of have to even like plan it into your day. But um, and it, and it's again the the more we're the technology is is focused on just 
making comfortable, convenient experiences, the less likely we are to start doing that. You you share so much wisdom, uh, and it's obviously resonating with a lot of people. Where did you derive? Where have you derived this wisdom from, or where where have you pulled from to come up with the ways that you're able to communicate things so effectively? Uh, I mean, well, I've I've fucked up a lot. <laughs> I love it. Man. I've I've fucked up a lot. It's fine. Like it, one of the most common questions I get is is like. Th- they're like, uh, are you uncomfortable giving advice? And I'm like, yes, I'm absolutely <laughs> uncomfortable giving advice. Like, have you seen my life? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's part of it. I, I, I was always an, a nerdy and bookish kid. I, I, starting when I was in high school, I started reading philosophy and psychology and science books and all this stuff. And so it was always just very much understanding the human mind and how do we grow and develop and become happier? Like these were always topics that uh, I pursued as a hobby since I was very young. And it, and then it was in my earlier mid twenties when I was starting some internet businesses that um, I had a chance to start writing it um, for others. And, and originally it was just, it was just for fun. It was just like, you know, I think it was like 24 and single. So most of the shit that I wrote, it was like, well, got hammered, talked to a girl, didn't go very well, you know, <laughs> but here's what I learned. And, and you know, I got to go from there. And, um, and, and it just, it started snowballing. Um, and as the audience grew, the more, I guess, responsible I felt to like really understand a lot of the research and the data about a lot of these different topics. And so then I'd, I'd go off and read a bunch of books and then write more and then the audience would grow and it's, it's a, that's just essentially what's been happening for 12 years now. Well, and, and, and did, did you derive any of it from any spiritual practices? Um, I was really into Buddhism in college and like a few years after. Um, I still love the philosophy of Buddhism. Um, I'm like, a, I, I'm bad at practicing meditation. It's, it's one of those, I have like an on again, off again relationship with meditation. And it's, it's, I wish... I did it consistently, but it's it's so hard to keep it as a habit. Well, you could argue that your writing is partly meditation too, though, right? It, it's very therapeutic, yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's I, I'm a big fan of of some Eastern philosophy. But I I, I grew up, um, I actually grew up super Christian. Um, I I always joke that so I, I my parents made me go to church twice a week, and then I went to a private Christian school, so I had to go to chapel five times a week. So I was going to church seven times a week till I was like 16 or 18. Um, so I, 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 even though I'm atheist, I always joke that I can like out Bible the fuck out of anybody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, don't, don't try to out Bible me. So that's, that's, that's interesting to me that you, you, you. you grew up Christian. You have, you, you, you studied a little bit of, of Buddhism and then you actually claim to be atheist. Yeah. yeah. Explain that to me. I'd love to hear more about that. Um, I went atheist in when I was 12. Um, I, I could just never really get behind it. Like there was just too many inconsistencies for me. I remember being like 10 years old and asking my dad, um, like, hey, dad, if uh, if Jesus loves us no matter what, uh, 
why do we have to get up at 7 a.m. and come to church on Sunday? <laughs> and you just got to be like, shut up. Yeah. You know, and, and I'd be like, well, hey, Dad, if God forgives us no matter what, like, why don't we just lie and cheat and steal? You know, and it just, the questions never stopped. And um, and then around the time I was 12, I discovered Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails oh. um, and there pornography. Yeah. Um, and I think the combination of those three um, <laughs> led me down a heathen path. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's a recipe. Uh, yeah. I, are you able to look back at some of those things and look at the, some of the, the, just the wisdom aspect of it? Yeah, a- absolutely. And you know, what's funny about this last book, I found, I found a lot of Jesus coming out in it. And, 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 <laughs> and I don't mean like, I, I don't talk about Christianity really at all in the new book, but I, I talk about unconditional love. I talk about, um, respect and dignity for each human being being kind of the, like the fundamental principle of all morality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was funny, like over and over again, I talk about forgiveness over and over again. I, I found, I'm like, wow, this is, this is like the shit Jesus used to say, <laughs> uh, you know? And so I've kind of come back around, uh, um, I think probably like in my thirties of, you know, even though I'm not, I'm not a religious person, I appreciate what it does for people and, and the value that it's had throughout human history. I, I'm definitely not one of those atheists that's like, you know, religion ruins everything. Yeah. I, people ruin everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't religion, it'd be something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, people don't realize this, but but atheists pr- think and study God more than most religious people do. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I t- <laughs> dude, I took classes on Islam in school. Um, I had a Jewish... My my girlfriend in college was Jewish, and so I used to like go to synagogue with her. I went to Israel with her. Like mm. that was that was fucking cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's just religion's fascinating, super fascinating. Yeah, it's almost like a lot of the stuff that you talk about in your books. It's like it was said in a different way before, and now the way you're communicating it is more, I guess, in modern, you know, modern ways and connecting now to, you know, yeah. people today. But the, the 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 wisdom, as I've said several times in this podcast, you hear it echoed. Which tells you that there's some truth there. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you know, you got if you got several people looking for the same answer, they might use different paths, but they'll come up with you know one plus one equals two. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. So. I mean, in human nature is human nature. So, if a principle worked two thousand years ago in India, the Middle East, and Europe, like it's probably universal. Yeah. What have been some of the uh, the reactions that you've gotten from your books that were unexpected? Have you had anybody come? I'm sure you get lots of feedback and, and emails and messages. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of the things that was pretty unexpected and, and really cool about subtle art um, was everybody seemed to read their own experience into it. Uh, so, for instance, you know, politically, people on the right read the book and thought I was conservative conservative and liberals <laughs> read it and thought I was super liberal. Um, religious people, Christians thought I, I was Christian. Um, I've had Muslims email me and they're like, you've read the Quran, right? And I'm like, <laughs> actually no. And they're like, you know, it's like, Oh dude, this book, it's, it, this is just, this is everything Muhammad was saying. And mm. so it's, it's really, that's been incredible. Um, and I guess the only kind of negative side of that was that like, uh, or, or the only example of, of people that that happened with that surprised me in a negative way was a lot of these like woo woo, uh, t- touchy feely self, you know, spirit crystal self-help type people, <laughs> which 
I explicitly wrote like half the book to shit on those people. <laughs> I get emails from those people and they're like, wow, you've manifested yeah. a true gift to you humanity. Like, <laughs> your energy, your polarity must be so, uh, I'm like, oh God. <laughs> like, how, how are you agreeing with this? <laughs> why, why, why shit on those people? Why, what is it about them that's so? Um, Cause I think, I think they, so, well, I, the, the spirit crystal stuff, you know, I, I kind of tease. But I, I really think, again, the central goal of the book was to write a pessimistic self-help book. I think, again, our, our culture, so much of our culture re- revolves around pleasure in mm-hmm. the sense that we deserve pleasure or we deserve some form of success or happiness. And I think that is corrosive. I think it's it's damaging us on very subtle ways that are starting to show um, the last few decades. And so it's when I get, when I get emails from those people who are, who are just like, who are like, yeah, your, your energy frequency must be so high. Cause it's, you know, we're going to all merge in consciousness and all this. I'm like, guys, like you're not helping. Yeah. <laughs> like this is not, this is not part of the plan. Uh, it's funny, Mark, there's, there's been several studies done on, people who have children, parents, Mm -hmm. and they'll compare parents to couples that don't have kids. Yeah. And so they'll ask them things like, you know, are you, you know, do you find happy? Do you find, you know, are you joyful, you know, pleasurable, stress? And almost all metrics, the couples without kids do better. Like they're happier, yeah. They seem to be happier. They got more energy. They're less stressed, except for one question, which is always about meaning and purpose. Yep. The parents, not as happy, way more stressed out, shit's more difficult, far more meaning yeah. in their life, um, which I think really points to a lot of what you're talking about. Absolutely. I think I wrote in an article a few years ago, because I know the study you're talking about, and I and I, I wrote about, I was like, if you ever needed... If you ever needed uh, like one study that shows you like why happiness research is fucking pointless, it's like <laughs> it's this one. Is you know because I remember seeing I remember when that study came out, like journalists wrote articles. They're like you know if you want to be happy, don't have kids. And I'm like, shut no, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're missing the point because um, it's like that right there. Like if because ask not any parent. I'm sure there's some parents that don't want their kids, but like ask like. Any, any functional family, any parent of a functional family, like, would you go back? Would you give up your no. kid? Like, not a single one is no, going to say yes. Not at all. Not a single one. Not at all. How do you inject uh, challenge and struggle into your life now? I mean, you, you, you've sold millions of copies, obviously making shit tons of money. I'm sure you have, Well, you know. To that point, actually, is I would, and I wanted to ask you this, and I think that lines perfect with your question, Sal, is I... I can't imagine what it's like to be, uh, uh, you know, a lifelong goal probably as a writer is to, you know, be a New York Times bestseller and yeah. sell millions of copies. And I'm sure that there was a, a, a major high. Sure. And then there was something afterwards that I think most people don't expect. Uh, and that's where Sal's heading with this question. So I'd like to hear the personal story of what that was like for you and yeah. how, you, how you dealt with it. Uh, it messed with me, man. Like success... Success, it really messes with you. And it's funny because one thing I've written for a long time is that um, our perception of ourselves lags behind reality. You probably see this all the time with fitness clients. Like somebody loses 40 pounds, but for like another year, they still think they're fat. Yeah. Um, 
and that's just true with anything. So anytime you get this like massive rapid change in your life, like your, your brain is still kind of stuck back where it used to be. Um, and so when, when, when this, when subtle art blew up, there was a good six months that I, I literally had no clue what to do with myself. Um, I could get up and spend the whole week promoting my book and, or I could get up and spend the whole week playing Zelda and the exact same result would happen. Uh, <laughs> and like, and, and I mean, which would be a lot of money, but it, which is great. But, um, you know, after like months and months of that, of just being like, well, why get up? Why do anything? Like why write? Why, why answer yeah. my phone? I'm done. What you know? Yeah. It's like, and so I, I really struggled with, um, and then on top of that, you have the fact that with a book this successful, there's so much pressure of like, how are you going to follow this up? Um, a lot of like the fact that I'm like still still a pretty young author mess with me. You know, I was 32 when this came out. So I'm like, I'm like, fuck, I'm 32 and I peaked. Like, <laughs> yeah. I you know, I've probably got another 20, 30 years of books in me and none of them are like, statistically speaking, it's very likely that none of them are going to sell as well or do as well or get as much attention. Um, and so that's, that's really depressing, you know, and it's not that it's all about money or attention, but it, it's, you know, you like to feel that incremental improvement in your results. Um, I think that's just human nature. You like every year to be a little bit better than last. You like every book to be a little bit better than the last one. Um, and so I felt kind of robbed of that. So, yeah, I, I languished around for like six or eight months and and didn't know what to do. And I struggled to find that vision of what I wanted my future to be. And that's that's actually where this the whole hope concept kind of started because I became a little bit depressed. And and that and that's the weirdest thing is is like being depressed because you got rich is like nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> yeah, like right. nobody's like you can't, you can't, share, topic. You can't share that with yeah, nobody. Yeah, like I, poor I, me, I got millions in my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> like I go every, I go get drinks with a friend, and they'd be like, "How you doing?" I'm like, "Man, I'm actually, I'm really struggling, man. Like, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't worked in like two weeks. I didn't shower yesterday or today. Like, and they just look at me and they're like." you man like <laughs> go fuck yourself um and it was funny because actually the 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 people the people that i found who understood a little bit were um i've got a number of friends in new york who are part of like the tech world and um and i've got one friend in particular who's like he's successfully e exited a few startups and he was the first guy that i talked to and he was like oh yeah of course he's like yeah but most depressed I ever was in my life was when I exited my first startup, Cash 40 Mill. He's like, I didn't know what to do for a year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shit. And he's like, yeah, this is, nobody talks about it, but this is like, this is common with, with people who experience a massive amount of success very quickly. Um, a, isn't there a term for it in psychology? I can't remember what it was. It was an actual... I don't know, but um, Will Smith called it altitude sickness. Mm. And he said he's seen it a lot. So that's a cool term for it. It's a really cool term. Yeah. Uh, and he said that, and he said what happens too is that a lot of people take themselves down the mountain mm -hmm. instead, instead of staying and adjusting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, uh athletes will experience it. Um, <coughs> you, if you read uh, about, especially Olympic athletes who train their whole lives and then they get one opportunity 
to win a medal and then they win the gold and then it's over because like we just talked about with values that was their god yep and now what yep it's like a radical reinvention of yourself you have to yeah mm. and it, it's one one of the lines in the book um which was actually it's, it's about halfway through the book but it's one of the first things i wrote was it was i said the only way to truly destroy a dream is for it to come true mm. um and people never tell you that or you never think about that. It's like when you dream about having something for 20 years and that, that dream gets you up in the morning, it gets you inspired, motivated, excited. You know, it, it is the basis of a lot of your friendships. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get it and now you don't know, like all that stuff is, is it's not there anymore. You mm -hmm. don't know why to get up anymore. Um, now you have to reinvent yourself. You have to reinvent yourself. The same way when you experience a great loss, you have to reinvent yourself. Mm. Like the same way you lose, losing a value uh, from from being handed your ass, you know, it's like sometimes you have to, you know, change your value because you fucking hit it. This reminds me of the saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's like you can't have what you got from the the striving and the hope to get to the goal yeah. and have hit the goal at the same time. You can't have those both. It's one or the other. Yeah. You either get the goal and now I'm done, but I don't get all the other, the strive, the the hope, the, the you know, pushing towards it. Um, and you can't have that if you get it. So. Yeah. So what do we Where do? You, what do we do to uh, to prevent this from happening? Or right. is it something you prevent? And how it's can you be proactive? Right. Uh, right. Right. After it happened. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to say that you don't want it to happen because it's, it happens for a very good reason, but um, I think it's being aware that that this is coming right. is important to understand, um, because it's again, pain in life is inevitable. Um, having our every value is going to fail us at some point, and I think just understanding and accepting that and knowing how to kind of go through the the breakup process of like letting that dream go and letting it not define you anymore. Um, is is an important thing to to accept and um, just be willing to go through. Now you brought up Will Smith. Yeah, I, man. I, I would really like to get into how you got the opportunity to meet up with him and potentially work with him. You got to share how they fucked with you too. That's yeah. that whole story. That whole story is good. <laughs> you got to drop that whole story. Um, I still I, I don't I don't know if that was intentional. So Will's um, Will's people reached out to me a year ago, year and a half ago, um, saying that he wanted to write a book and that he had been talking to some authors and thinking about concepts. Um, that had to feel rad when that happened. But oh, yeah. It was it was so funny, too, because my agent... So I'll preface, preface this by saying that, like, actually, celebrity books in the publishing world, celebrity books have a terrible reputation. Oh, really? Yeah, they're known as... They're, like, om they're almost always money losers. Hmm. Um, it's usually they're like nightmare projects to get involved in. Um, they is always it too inauthentic. Yeah. Because most celebrities, they want a book is like, a, a either a trophy for their shelf or uh. like a PR piece. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, people who haven't written a book have no idea how much work goes into it. So, you know, it's a multi-year process and you have to be willing to sit down with this author or this person that you don't really know mm. and spend dozens of hours opening up about everything that happened in your life. Uh, 
And so there's just, it, that's not a comfortable or fun thing to do. Right. Um, so you have to really, you have to really want it. And I, I think when celebrities really do want it and they're willing to do that work, they turn out amazing. Like I think Agassiz's book is like fucking phenomenal. Hmm. Um, but a lot of times you just end up with kind of this like puff piece that isn't very good. Nobody really wants to read. And the publisher just spent like $3 million on it. And so they just lost a ton of money. Um, so it was funny. My, my agent called me um, and she didn't even tell me that he was interested. Like she, she, she was very smart about it. She said, how do you feel about celebrity books? Just generally speaking. <laughs> um, and, and we kind of talked about everything I just told you guys. And, and I told her, I said, look, like. Yeah. How honest were you? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I told her because she didn't tell me it was him. She, oh, she, oh, okay. she was just being very vague. And she was like, have you ever thought about a celebrity book? Like, what if an opportunity <laughs> yeah. came? Like, like they're shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I, I told her, I said, um, I said, I think two things would have to be true for me to be interested. Um, one is that they would have to want it for the right reason. Like they would really want to like, want to dive into their life and, find some like deep personal message that they feel the world needs to hear. Um, and then the second would be like, they need to be a fucking A-lister cause I'm not going to like, you, know, <laughs> you don't want to fuck around. I don't. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I'm dude, I'm like on top of the, on top of the mountain right now. So I, it's like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I don't want to like mess around with, um, you know, like one of the, the desperate housewives or something. <laughs> um, it's so it's a great show. It's yeah. It's like show up, man. Check I like that man. show. <laughs> Two yards all the time. Yeah. Uh, so she's like, okay, okay. And so she like hangs up and then you know, a few days later she calls me and she's like, So uh there is a celebrity interested, it's Will Smith. And it's funny because um she told me she's like, I'm not sure if if this is a good idea. Like, I don't know. And she didn't really know much about him. And it's funny because he's got a uh, a montage, an interview montage that went viral like 10 years ago. I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but it's like some some random dude took like a bunch of interview clips of Will Smith and put them together into like an eight minute video. Um, and it's just awesome. Like it's just, it's really fucking inspiring. He's fucking awesome. Yeah. He he is. Like yeah. he's just, I think it, it just starts off. He's just like, I love living. I love being alive. And and then it just goes on and on. And, and, I, and I remember seeing that when I was, back when I was like broke and starting my business. And I'm like, damn, this guy's pretty cool. Um, like I was very impressed by it. Uh, and so I told her about that. And I was like, I bet you there's something there. Um, and I told her, I said, look, and if there's not like, I, whatever, like I got to hang out with Will Smith for a weekend. So, right, you know, right, like yeah. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's go try it out. And, um, and it was funny cause there's just so many gatekeepers, um, you know, his, his manager, like I did a phone interview with his team and then I did an in-person interview with his manager and then, um, and then they would start scheduling for us to meet and then cancel at the last minute and then reschedule. Um, and, it, and it just gets super surreal because they're like, they'd be like, um, hey, are you up to uh, meeting Will on Thursday? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, where? Like thinking it's in Brooklyn or something. And uh, and they're like, oh, he's going to be in Dubai. And I'm like, wait, what? 
I'm like, no, I got, yeah. I've got plans. Like oh, I have a life, you know? Uh, and so this went on for like six months. And then finally I met him. Uh, and it was great. Like he, it was quickly clear. Like he was in it for, for the right reason. Um, he just turned 50. Um, he pretty much like, he's kind of on the other side of like a midlife crisis. Um, again, so a, val- a major, his God value failed. Um, and he went through that whole crisis hmm. um, and came out on the other end a much stronger and more integrated person. And I thought the beautiful, when I was spent, so I spent like that first trip, I spent four days with him. And, it, and I thought the most beautiful thing was, and I told him this, I said, the beautiful thing about this is that all of your experiences are so universal. Like it's it's like divorces, you know, rough childhood, being bullied, like um, all this stuff that I'm like, wow, like everybody goes through this, but he's fucking Will Smith. So like you want to know, like how did he come out of that? Um, And so, yeah, I, I, we hit it off and um, it was great. And then it was funny the last day he asked me um, just out of the blue. He's like, so do you have any book ideas? And I was like, oh yeah, of course I got ideas. And he's like, cool. Yeah. Can you show me? And I'm like, um, hold on. I, I, I got to go to my hotel room. I'll be back in like two hours. I run to my hotel room, <laughs> right start writing shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. And um, I came back and, and um, you know, showed him essentially what I, what I told him is I said, like, look, when I, when I came here, my question, like, obviously you're a famous dude. Um, very like people are going to, you could, you could write shit, 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 shit for 400 pages and people would buy this book. Um, mind blowing. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I told him, I said, you know, you're a famous dude. You're very smart, very accomplished. But I said, like what I came here looking for is like, what, what can you share with the world that nobody else can share? Cause that's what makes a book great is when you have a message that nobody else is saying. And I told him, I said, just spending these few days around you, um, your emotional intelligence is off the fucking charts. Like it's, there are situations in his life that would have wrecked 99.9% of people, especially his childhood. And he just, not like he, he would be like, oh, well, yeah, I just decided that I'd have to uh, become famous and uh, buy my mom a house so dad would stop beating her up. And I'm like, what? Like, wow. <laughs> like, who thinks that? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. It just seemed natural to me. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, and, and so, you know, it, it's, I told him, I was like, that you have this emotional intelligence to you that is like absolutely astounding. I've never seen anything like it in another person. And I said, I think that should be the basis of the book. Now, I, I haven't met him, although I've met several people now who have met him. And they almost all say the same thing about his energy and aura when he's around. Dude, he's so, he's the most charismatic person I have ever met. And there's n- no close second. Like he's, it's not mm. even, you know, he's in an, it's like he's in the major leagues and the rest of us are in the minor leagues. Like mm. it, it is just, and it's infectious. Like it's just, you just feel good yeah. being around him. 
Um, and he's just, he's genuinely like that. Like yeah. he's not, it's not an act. Like it's all my friends are like, Hey dude, what's Will Smith like? And I, and I always tell him, I'm like, if you've seen any episode of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, <laughs> yeah. he did not act a single minute on that show. Like they, they wow. literally wrote the entire show around. They're like, Hey, well, like just, you know, just do Will stuff. Yeah. And then they like, <laughs> just hang out. They, then they took the rest of the cast. They're like, okay, so this is how the scene's going to go. You know, <laughs> you're doing the Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's great, man. It's, it's been a real, a real blessing. Um, to, I, I think it was Jim quick who was sharing a story with me one time. I think it was him who shared this story, but he's talking about how, you know, they were waiting for something and they, all this shit was behind. It just, everybody's like in the green room and like all frustrated and pissed off. And like, you know, Will was like playing and making jokes and just, oh, yeah. you know, everybody else is all bitter about it. And he, and here he is the, probably the most super famous person out of everybody whose time is as valuable or more valuable than yeah. anybody's there. And he just has this attitude, like no big deal and just having fun with it. Yeah. And, and I bet you he, he's smart. Like I've been around him enough to, to know too, that he's smart enough. He'll recognize when people in the room start getting uncomfortable or like, angry or frustrated or whatever and he'll intentionally like he'll start engaging with those people in such a way that gets them laughing and smiling because he because he's like dude Mm -hmm. it's it's gonna you know it's gonna be late you know delays happen if it's late it's late Mm -hmm. but we might you know there's no reason to torture ourselves for the next 30 minutes right Mm -hmm. um and he understands too that any room he's in he's the person everybody else is looking to for how to feel. So he understands that. And so it's like, if he walks into a room and everybody's anxious, he'll immediately disarm that anxiety. That's sick. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's really like he could, he could run for president and probably win if he wanted. I, I hope he doesn't, but (laughs) I fucking like, cause it's just, I, he's such a wonderful person. And I think that would, let's keep that. That would just ruin everything. (laughs) But, um, um, but he has that gene. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable self-awareness. Mark, yeah. Mark what is your, um, what's your top value? That's a really good question. Um, I would say, well, <laughs> so this is that tricky thing, right? It's like, I can say what my top value is, but my behavior will probably demonstrate differently. But um, for me, the last few years, it's, very much just honesty. Um, just trying to be very, very honest, not just with others, but with myself, um, and my own failings and my own insecurities. Um, one of the, one of the things that I'm proud of is, is, uh, my my wife often tells people, she she says, she's like, Mark, Mark is so honest that sometimes I wish he wouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, sometimes I wish he'd lie to me a little bit. Um, and I'm like, my girl says that to me all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. It's I'm safe here, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And she is too though. And I'm sure, I'm sure you get the same response. Is it, it stings at first a little bit, but then they go, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, Yeah. And it's, it's funny. There's, there's a section in the subtle art about how I, um, how I tell like, if my wife comes out in an outfit and she's like, how do I look? And I think she looks terrible. I'll be like, I think you look terrible. <laughs> and it was so funny <laughs> because like, I got so many emails from people, a lot of women, um, but some men too, who are like, you can't say that. Like, that's so, that's awful. Like, dude, you know, you just got married. Like if you want this marriage to last and, and I, I was like, you don't get it. Like 
if I don't say that, then when she does look absolutely gorgeous, doesn't mean as much. It's not going to mean anything. That's, yeah. It's funny you say that because I have this thing with saying I love you. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember this was like a thing that we had to work through in our relationship when we first got together because she was kind of taught to just all, to express it, share it, show it, say it all the time. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm very reserved when it comes with that. Uh, and I just don't say it all the time. And the reason why is I said, I feel like a lot of people devalue it. You know, they're on the phone, they're talking, oh yeah, pick up groceries. Okay, honey, I love you. Hang up. Yeah. And I'm like, it doesn't mean that much, but- because I don't say it all the time to you, when I do say it to you, it means a lot. And I said so much to the point that I, w- I want you to always be able to challenge me and say, well, what are you thinking about then? Yeah. And I should be able to say something back to you. So we have this with our relationship today where, because I don't say it that often, but when I do, it is because there's something that has happened to me in the day or I seen something or I thought about her. And it's, it makes me feel compelled to text that over to her or call her and say that to her. Mm-hmm. And she always follows up with, what are you thinking about? And so I can give that to But I think that's really important, though, don't you? Yeah, I, and, and I think so much of uh, a successful relationship is working with the other person's flaws rather than just trying to fix them or, like, bury them. Um and it, it's, it's, and you, you can only do that by being honest. You can only like, it's, I have certain things with, with my wife too, where it's like, so I'm bad at expressing anger, for instance, like I just bottle shit up and she's really good at noticing when I'm doing that and being like, no, you're pissed off. Like, tell me why. And I'm like, no, no, no I'm fine. And she's like, no, tell me, tell me why you're pissed. And I'm like, no, 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 really I'm fine. <laughs> She's like, well, this fucking guy didn't call back and it's this piece of shit. And, you know, and without her doing that, um, you know, it, it just makes me a better person. Right, right. You know? Um, Mark, what, what are your what are your biggest uh, struggles right now? Oh, gosh. All these damn podcasts you got to do? All these fucking podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> stupid question. the same question. Yeah, how many bad ones have you... How many interviews <laughs> yeah. you walk like, fuck, that was a waste of time. Uh, there, there are definitely a few. <laughs> you know what's funny, man? It, it, so it's been interesting doing the podcasts because uh, I, I didn't really do podcasts for like two and a half years. So I did a ton for Subtle Art and then I just stopped all interviews because when you're selling 8 million books, who the fuck wants to do interviews? Play Zelda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then then for this book, I'm like ramping it up and I'm doing a bunch again. And what I've noticed is that um, I guess the the, the difference between good and bad bad podcasts is much wider. Like it's podcasting's come really, really far. uh, and, And it's like when they're good, they're amazing now. And when they're bad, they're like, they're still awful. Whereas like three, four years ago, it was like, it was very rare that you were like, wow, that was an amazing, amazing interview. Like it was just, it was all kind of mixed together. Um, but now it's just, it's so like within, within two minutes, I'm like, this, you can tell. I'm like, this is, this is a fucking terrible interview. <laughs> <laughs> like how long do I, okay. Yeah, start looking yeah. at your watch. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are the, what are the most annoying things that, that make you feel that way with, with podcast interviews? Um, I think I, I, I hate it when interviewers come in with predefined questions. So like the thing that drives me crazy the most is when people come in and they're like, they essentially just want the bullet point for every chapter in the book. They're like, so tell us about 
the thinking brain and feeling brain. And I'm like, ah, okay. And Read the, the fucking book. I know. I, like, can we, this is supposed to be a conversation. And like, I'll try to make jokes and they won't laugh. And, you know, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> it just feels like I'm, feels like I'm just like talking to a machine or something. Yeah. Um, I, I like the more conversational vibe like you guys do here. Like, I think everybody likes that. Like, that's what a listener wants. Well, they it feels real. Yeah. Right. And right. They, it feels like they're in the room with you. Right. Um, if it was just about info, like you just, I don't know, you'd send them a bullet point summary. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I mean, you know, from a business standpoint, it sells more books when people get to know you. In my totally. opinion. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the inf- information's, I mean, like, like, like we keep saying, it's like the info has been there forever. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's the package. It's, it's the personality. It's, it's, um, the style, you know. Mm-hmm. So back to your struggle. Oh, my struggles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, almost let him dodge it right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Close. Um, I will say that, like, I'm pretty good. This has been a really good year. I'm super busy, but it's like a really good busy. So I'd say my biggest struggle right now is just not being home enough. But I'm not, like, I wish I was home with my wife and my friends more often. Um, we're trying to have a kid and it's, it's uh, it, it, the funny thing about trying to, like, you spend your whole life trying not to get a girl pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And then as soon as you start- Break try- all the rules. Uh. Yeah. And then as soon as you start trying it, you're like, wait, it, it still hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what the hell is taking so long? Um, but it's, it's frustrating because we're trying to have a kid, but I'm like, I'm just never home. I'm home like, you know, five, six days a month. Um, so like that's, that's, that's been hard, but I also understand that this is just a, you know, it's a temporary period that this mm-hmm. is going on. Um, I would say that's the biggest struggle right now. Um, career's good. Um, family relationships are good. Um, the writing feels good. The business feels good again. Um, you know, two years ago, I'd have a much longer answer for mm-hmm. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you looking forward to fatherhood? I am. I am. And it's funny. I, I didn't know... <clears throat> I didn't know if I'd ever get here. Hmm. Um, really? Yeah. I, I never had much interest in kids. I feel you, dude. Yeah. I got one coming August 7th and I was- Oh, wow. Yeah. I was the guy who said like, I, may, I mean, if you actually are a longtime listener of the podcast, you'll hear the evolution of it. We've been going now for four and a half years. You hear the beginning- Took be, me four years to talk him into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, first, the first couple of years, you hear me going like, ah, oh, no kids. I'll probably never have kids. Yeah. Yeah. To now I'm-, I'm incredibly excited but see for me like there was just there's things that I selfishly wanted to do and be and I feel like uh, I that those were major values for me and I've kind of accomplished that I'm at where I want to be and so I'm at a place in my life where uh, I want to be a lot more selfless yeah and mm-hmm. I want to, to give I want to give more than I, I take yeah absolutely right, right? that's kind of where I'm at in my life so that's completely changed I imagine you're yeah for me it was the exact same thing and I, I feel like that's a new thing too I think that that's a new thing with our generation is that we're the first generation is like no 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 I want to like I want to do my bucket list before the kids, mm-hmm. you know, not after, um, you know, I don't want to wait till I'm 60 to like check off all the things I want to do with my life. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Like I, it went from like not wanting them to, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. And then, and then there was just kind of one day soon after I got married that I was like watching a little kid run around and I'm like, 
man, being a dad would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was, yeah. and then it's been all over since. <laughs> oh, there's going to be such an amazing book around that yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just from listening to your philosophy and uh, talking about helicopter parents and yeah. all that kind of, oh man, I can't wait. Most challenging yet most rewarding thing yes. I've ever done in yep. my entire life. And it continues to be I believe the it. most challenging thing. Yeah. All the good intentions, but then you see how it plays out and you know. Yes. I'm like, yeah. it's going to get easier. struggle in that. Nope. Even, <laughs> it keeps getting harder. Never easier. Even though she's not pregnant yet, do you? are you already thinking like that? I mean, have you started that process of thinking like the, the values I want to instill in my kid, the things I won't do, I will do? Are you thinking like that yet? Uh, Not a whole lot. It, it's funny because a, a bunch of my friends have just, recently had their their first kids and um and, and it's been funny because it's it, the the main theme that i keep hearing from all my friends is that it's it's you you can plan as much as you want <laughs> but as soon as it comes out like you just you don't know what the fuck you're doing like it's <laughs> mm-hmm. it's uh i have two i still don't know what the fuck i'm doing yeah exactly <laughs> i have no idea with, i think that's why grandparents was funny when i had my my son my son was the first grandchild for uh, for my parents, mm-hmm. and I remember my mom. You know, she'd watch him, and then she'd be like, "I'd be like, God, you, you're so happy, you know." And she's like, "Oh, I, I love my grandkids more than I love my own kids." And I'd be like, "Excuse me." <laughs> and she How goes, dare you, mom?" She goes, "Well, Thanks, mom. she goes, it's different. It's like I've been through it already. Yeah. Now I can live in the moment. Like when I had my own kids, I was stressed out. Like what do yeah. I?" She said, "Now I can like sit and revel in it and just enjoy it, and then of course hand them off to you and." When yeah. shit goes wrong. When shit goes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the benefits with none of the costs. Yeah. So fun. <laughs> you know, something you, you, you talk about helicopter parents. There was a, a quote that I heard, and it might have been from uh, Jordan Peterson, I think is one that said it, and I thought it was so brilliant. And he said, uh, never do for your kids yeah, that's Jordan. what they can do for themselves. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that is yeah. absolutely – and it's funny now because now my kids do all kinds of shit. Man, yeah. That is so easy to say. Too. It's so easy to say. Yeah. It, it's actually more work. At first, to make your kids do shit, then and then you do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm mm-hmm. seeing it just. I'm seeing the benefits of it. Just yeah, like crazy. So, Mark, what what does a guy who does not value money that high uh-huh. and gets a fuck ton of it? Yeah, what does he go buy? Uh, I bought a Nintendo Switch. That was that was, <laughs> that, that was stupid, dude, bro. Balling. That was uh, yeah. And Zelda I Zelda references and real I, though. And I, and I got the one with like the red and the blue controller because because you know yeah, I was like blurred big like, time. Right? Like, yeah. I'll pay an extra twenty bucks to get the limited edition. Uh, Don't break the bank. Yeah, right. uh, you asshole. It, no, it's funny. So we we did just buy a house and and we live in New York, so it was pretty fucking expensive. But like my wife and I have talked like. I think really the only two things we bought a house, which we plan to live in forever. So it's kind of like just a one-time thing. Um, but the, really the only thing that we, we kind of agreed that it's like, okay, we're going to splurge on this is, is we decided, um, business class from now on. Like, that's the one thing we're like, that's all right. This is our, like, be a rich baller experience. It's like, we're just <laughs> always buy business class tickets. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah. Hey, what, any, any favorite hobbies uh, that you're into besides writing? Uh, I mean, music. Um, That's right. That's right. You're, you, like, at you're one a point guitarist, wanted, right? Wanted yeah. to be a musician. Yeah. Yeah. I spent, I, I wanted to be a musician until I was about like 25. Went to mm. music school. Um, so I go, I go to a lot of shows. Um, play video games obviously uh and then travel like i travel a lot for work but you know i i've traveled so much in my life and it just it never 
never gets old. It's it's it, it evolves, you know. So I try to take the wife on a couple trips each year. It's funny you're on tour. You're just not on tour for music. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's the so, irony of it. So, ah, so you, you want to know this one is of my the, struggle. Well, you know, you want to know one of the coolest things about you know, I guess being a famous author or whatever. Um, when you tweet it other famous people they actually tweet back to you uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. and so I'm a huge heavy metal fan yeah so are we yeah oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude. Hey, dude. <laughs> so I started just tweeting at all these metal bands that I love and I'm like hey dude like your music's really inspiring I wrote this book like do you want a free book and like a bunch of them wrote back they're like yeah and so one of my oh, one of my shit, it worked yeah it worked and then one of my so one of my favorite bands is this 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 nerdy metal band called Periphery and uh and the, like a, like half the guys in it are like huge fans of the book. That's right. And so when they came through New York, I like went to their show, hung out backstage, like went out and got got beers with them and everything. And and it was funny because we were talking. So rad. We were talking about like they were telling me about the touring. They're like, yeah, touring kind of sucks. Like you just it's like hotel room, venue, airport, hotel room, venue, airport, like over and over and over again. Right. Uh, and I was like, wow, that's, that's exactly, similar. It's exactly like a book tour. Like you don't, my, my wife used to kind of gripe that, I you know, I'd go do like a publicity tour in Australia or the UK or something. And she'd be like, well, when are you going to bring me? I'm like, you don't understand. You don't like, want to go. You, yeah. you really don't want to go. Like there's nothing fun about it. Yeah. Nothing. What about when you get back? Are you, uh, cause we, this happens to us when we go and we're on the road and we come back is my girl wants to hear all about it. And I'm just, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not much to say. Yeah, that's it was really like, I, I, I just, I, I talked to, uh, I talked to my wife on the way down here, uh, to see you guys. And I was like, yeah, Phoenix talk was, was pretty good. Flight was okay. Slept like 11 hours last night. All right, talk to you later. <laughs> like, like that's the end of conversation. Like nothing else to add. <laughs> well, after we're done here, I, I, we got to hear you rip yeah, on, you on Justin's guitar. Yeah. All right, yeah, it's, like, me, it's been a while, but yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll shred a little. Awesome, man. No, this has been this has been great, meaty, man. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're you're you know sometimes we meet people we think we're gonna like and we end up. Thinking, hating them. We yeah. Don't fucking <laughs> like them You're a yeah. This is hey. If you never get invited back, you know what's yeah. up, bro. <laughs> yeah. Fuck those guys. That's it's a sign. Book number three. Didn't yeah. even call me. Yeah. <laughs> but this is not one of those times. Yeah. 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 You're 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 even better than we thought you'd be. So thanks. Man. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming down. We really appreciate what you're doing, man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Good time, bro. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump. <laughs>